Section 83 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies, an Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases, by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombaugh. Problematical Cases, Part 5. The Ardlemont Mystery, Part 2. At the close of the evidence for the defense on the eighth day, Mr. Asher, Solicitor General, addressed the jury. At the outset, he asked for a verdict of guilty on both charges, attempted murder and murder. He told the jury to dismiss from their minds everything except the evidence before the court. He gave a consecutive history of the case and the facts, which formed a complete chain, establishing, as he claimed, link by link the guilt of the prisoner of both crimes. He dealt fully with the negotiations in respect of the life interest in the Hambro estates, on which the Eagle Insurance Company had advanced 37,000 pounds, and of the attempt made by Major Hambro, after the foreclosure by the Eagle on the failure of the payment of interest, to effect a rearrangement through Mr. Tottenham, the financial agent, and then himself set out, at length, the financial difficulties in which the Monsons found themselves. Coming to the assurances, he detailed the several attempts made to effect assurances on the life of Cecil Hambro. First came the negotiations with the Scottish Provident Institution for an insurance of £50,000 on Cecil Hambro's life, payable to Mrs. Monson. That was declined because of the failure to prove Mrs. Monson's insurable interest. Then came the proposal for £10,000, the facts from beginning to end supplying no explanation except that the insurance office was told falsehoods for the purpose of deceiving. The next proposals were to the Liverpool and London and Globe. Here again, the difficulties being too great to be faced, the original proposal was reduced from £50,000 to a smaller sum, to cover money due for his maintenance, extending over four years, and also to cover certain liabilities incurred in connection with the Hambro Estates. Not one particle of liability in connection with the Hambro estates had been incurred either by Monson or his wife. A letter was sent by Cecil Hambro in these words. Dear Sir, I am requested by Mrs. Agnes Monson to write you that she has an interest in my life to the extent of £26,000, and I have given her an undertaking in which I have agreed to pay her this sum on my attaining twenty-one. There was an ominous sound about the words that followed if i live until then the insurance companies saw through the flimsiness of the proposals the scottish provident did offer a ten thousand dollar policy but upon a condition which was never fulfilled namely that mrs monson's insurable interest in hambro's life was proved to their satisfaction then there was a change of tactics and they applied for policies directly in the name of cecil hambro the existence of these policies they persistently concealed until they were put forward after the boy's death with a view to recovering the money. Monson went to the Glasgow office of the Mutual Life Insurance Company of New York for two policies of £10,000 each. This impecunious occupant of Ardlemont represented that Mrs. Monson, who had not two shillings in her pocket, was going to pay £20,000 for Ardlemont in the interest of young Hambro and that these two policies were to secure her interest. 
but the premium had to be paid there was no time to wait until the policies could be got from new york so the expedient was adopted of taking out a temporary policy subsisting in any event for sixty days and upon which the terms of premium were for half a year only the money for the premium had to be found and he had to ask the jury's attention closely to the circumstances under which it was found and they were coming now near to the tragic event flagrant misrepresentation and treachery were resorted to by the prisoner if testimony from human lips was to be believed monson resorted to the grossest falsehood ever put upon paper to secure the command of two hundred fifty pounds of which he was in sore want at the time a letter absolutely false was written by monson to his friend tottenham the money-lender in order to secure the two hundred fifty pounds for the purpose of a deposit he falsely represented that he had purchased the Ardlamont estate without having even been in communication either with the owner or his agent the two hundred fifty pounds secured by nefarious means was sent by check and placed to mrs monson's account and on august eighth monson went to the estate office in edinburgh in order that there might be something in existence of the nature of negotiations for the purchase of Ardlamont having requested the insurance office to get the policy ready by august eighth he went to glasgow carrying in his hand a letter which cecil hambro had been persuaded to write in which he asked that his two insurance policies of twenty thousand pounds each might be delivered to mr and mrs monson as he had assigned the policies to mrs monson for consideration received monson returned to ardlemont with the policies in his pocket accompanied by his mysterious friend scott whom he introduced to a passenger on the boat as a gentleman from the estate office on the next day august ninth occurred events in connection with which he asked the jury to say that the prisoner was guilty of the crimes alleged against him the solicitor-general then put before the jury the whole of the events connected with the fishing expedition and the shooting party and in concluding a speech of six hours duration said that if the jury agreed with him that the prisoner's torturous misstatements were only consistent with the theory of his guilt then they would convict him of the crimes with which he was charged on behalf of the defence mr comrie thompson in addressing the jury said he felt that after careful consideration of the facts they would be driven to the conclusion that the charge had not been substantiated he pointed out the difference of opinion between the expert and scientific witnesses and said the first question they must ask was is it proved he felt confident that their answer would be in the negative he deprecated the action of the newspapers unintentional though he believed it to be in creating prejudice in the public mind by the publication of paragraphs about the prisoner he argued that it was to the interest of the monsons to keep cecil hambro alive as he was their means of support then he dealt with the direction of the fatal shot and the proximity of the gun-barrel drawing inferences favorable to the prisoner from the evidence on those points passing on he referred to the question of insurances and submitted that at the time they were negotiated there was a legitimate purpose and the proposal to insure cecil was no new idea the carrying out of monson's arrangements depended entirely upon the young man living until eighteen ninety four and there was no motive for compassing his death at the time when cecil hambro died there was no obligation by any insurance office in the world to pay money to monson in respect of his death 
therefore the whole crown case as based upon the insurance crumbled into dust the learned counsel next dealt with the charge of attempted murder by drowning if an attempt to commit murder had been made hambro must have noticed it and in that case would he have gone home and drunk whiskey and water with the man who attempted to compass his end discussing the important question where was the body first struck down mr thompson argued that the evidence was consistent with the prisoner's statement and that the crown testimony as to the distance and direction of the shot failed utterly the crown had said the distance from the muzzle to the wound was nine feet but the defense had demonstrated that at such a distance there would be a scattering of pellets which had not taken place in this case the lord justice clerk followed with his summing up to the jury at the outset he observed that the case was purely one of circumstantial evidence and must be subjected to the minutest criticism glancing at the history of the case before the alleged crimes he said it unbared a very dark side of social life he then proceeded to analyze the evidence in reference to the alleged transactions for the purchase of ardlemont he pointed out that it was in the prisoner's favor that in the letter he wrote to tottenham asking for two hundred fifty pounds to pay the deposit money he said it might be drawn in favor of messrs anderson who were agents for the ardlemont estate his lordship also observed that though there was a great deal of lying it was a long way from being dishonest to being murderous the only weight which the jury should give to these lying episodes should be in so far as they were directly connected with the motive alleged by the prosecution there was no doubt that about this time the affairs of mr and mrs monson were practically desperate where evidence was circumstantial only the question of motive became of enormous importance for if it were clearly proved it was of the greatest importance to the prosecution but if it was displaced it was vastly in favor of the prisoner dealing with the question of scott he said he did not think there was any strong evidence of a plot between him and the prisoner and he could not see any inducement to scott to be mixed up in the alleged crime there was something mysterious about his presence at ardlemont but it was the duty of the crown to clear that up and if they had been unable to find the missing man no point must be made against the prisoner for their failing to do so his lordship next reviewed evidence relating to the boating expedition and said that if the jury believed an attempted murder had been committed then it would throw considerable light on the proceedings of the next day coming to the fatal day he went with considerable detail through the evidence and then commenting on the theoretical evidence said that unless the jury were satisfied that the pellet marks on the rowan tree were made at the same time as hambro was shot then the whole theory of the crown on that question fell to the ground the jury retired to consider their verdict at four o'clock and after an absence of three-quarters of an hour returned into court with a verdict of not proven the result was received with cheering not only by the people in the court but by a crowd outside in parliament square not proven is a form of verdict used in scotland in criminal prosecutions when the jury think there is some foundation for the charge but the evidence is not strong enough against the prisoner to warrant a verdict of guilty a verdict of not proven is substantially a verdict of acquittal the prisoner cannot be tried afterwards even though new and conclusive evidence come to light after the verdict 
but though the prosecution failed to prove its case monson left the dock enveloped by heavy clouds of doubt and suspicion after the trial attention was drawn to the issue who would profit by cecil hambro's death the london review in discussing the situation laying aside question as to the actual criminality in what was undoubtedly a murder and dealing merely with the insurance aspect presented the following points for consideration one first mrs monson the assignment of cecil hambro it is claimed was known by monson to be invalid and a strong point was made in his favor on this for the defense and in the summing up but whether money would come to anyone is the real question at issue two granting invalidity of the assignment the next of kin would claim viz major hambro now major hambro was under heavy financial obligations to monson and tottenham monson also owed money to tottenham money payable to major hambro would therefore be intercepted by his creditors viz monson tottenham and others and money payable to tottenham by monson would be intercepted by the former three it is obvious therefore that assignment or no assignment monson would profit by cecil hambro's death now though he might or might not do better at his majority four tottenham certainly would profit as he had purchased a judgment against cecil hambro which being for necessaries would be a valid claim against next of kin of a minor five monson and the financiers at the back of tottenham and major hambro were therefore certain to profit by any payment by an insurance company six but here is where the real trouble begins no less than a dozen life insurance companies were at various times approached on the matter of cecil hambro's life assurance and to each and all was the suggestion made of assuring cecil hambro's life for the benefit of mrs monson who professed to have claims for a large amount to each of the life offices however this question of mrs monson's insurable interest proved an insurmountable stumbling-block in the case of the mutual life of new york the same difficulty presented itself but that was got over by the plan of young hambro insuring his life in his own name being at liberty afterwards to properly assign the policies to mrs monson it seems to have been understood on the side of the insurance companies and to a more limited extent by monson that this assignment by a minor would be invalid unless accompanied by the consent of his father as next of kin and the primary beneficiary in the event of cecil hambro not reaching the age of twenty-one seven now it was precisely here where monson overreached himself cecil hambro had been proposed to the reliance mutual and had been postponed for medical reasons in the proposal made to the liverpool and london and globe this episode of the reliance mutual was mentioned and for good reason namely that the liverpool and london and globe knew all about it already the mutual life of new york was aware of the declinature by the reliance mutual or of the active canvassing among the dozen offices in connection with this proposed assurance the proposal made to the mutual therefore contained no mention of these various transactions which if referred to would have made the issue of a life policy by that office a somewhat doubtful possibility 
it is to be noted that it was on the second of august on declinature by the liverpool and london and globe that monson went to the glasgow office of the mutual of new york eight it follows therefore that the proposal made to the mutual life of new york was a fraudulent one and absolutely invalid but as the ingenious mr loftus tottenham suggested in the box at edinburgh as he was to get four thousand pounds himself out of the mutual money there was every reason to try as it was expressed to bluff the company an unfortunate expression which he afterwards tried to explain saying that he meant to have a try for the money even as the creditor of major hambro the next of kin all possibility of bluffing the mutual life of new york was finished at an interview between monson the mutual agent and the procurator fiscal in the streets of inverary on the twenty ninth of august in due course december third eighteen ninety four an action was brought in the queen's bench division before the lord chief justice sir charles russell and a special jury by dudley albert hambro the father and administrator of the estate of windsor dudley cecil hambro deceased against the mutual life insurance company of new york in respect of two life policies of ten thousand pounds each his lordship reviewed the evidence with great care and at great length clearly setting forth the breach of warranty the fraudulent misrepresentations and their materiality when he concluded the jury retired and after an absence of half an hour returned with the following answers to the questions put to them the application to the reliance was deferred the deceased did apply to the liverpool and london and globe he was declined by the latter he was aware of the unfavorable opinion as to albumen fraudulent statements were made they were material and they influenced the insurers monson was the party substantially affecting the insurance and with the consent and acquiescence of cecil hambro there was no disposition to press the charge of fraud against cecil hambro his lordship noted that in his opinion the proposal was the basis of the contract and that if any statement in it was untrue the policy could not be enforced by any one the only effect of the policy being absolutely void would be that the premium paid on it could be recovered it was immaterial to decide that but his opinion was that it was void altogether judgment would be for the defendants with costs the mutual life insurance company showed its readiness from the start to acquit itself of the claim but as the suspicious circumstances attending the ardlemont mystery were developed the management was bound on grounds of public policy to decline payment and defend action practically the grounds of resistance were three in number first that no action by major hambro would lie because the policies had been assigned to mrs monson secondly that cecil hambro had warranted certain statements in his application for insurance as true which were untrue and thirdly that the policies had been obtained by fraud on the part of young hambro or of mr monson who was acting as his agent or rather as the controller of his conduct in the matter of the insurance of these contentions the most important one was the plea that mr cecil hambro had himself vitiated the policies in question by warranting certain statements in his application for insurance which proved to be untrue it is pleasant to know that during the whole course of a trial lasting some three days there was not the faintest attempt to prejudice the case by reason of the mutual life being an american company 
its action received the distinct and emphasized approval of the british press both professional and general of course the conditions were different from those where a widow and children attired in black are part of the scenery for here there was only the abstract body of creditors of major hambro's estate major hambro having been imported into the business by the purest accident in the world and against his will even a few weeks afterward the hearing of the appeal of major hambro from the judgment and verdict of the lord chief justice and the special jury took place in the court of appeal before the master of the rolls and lord justices lopes and rigby in dismissing the appeal the master of the rolls made short work of it in the course of his review he said mr monson and his wife had taken a young man he did not want to say much about the wife for he believed she was just as much under the influence of the man monson as this young boy pretending he was to teach him and got him to scotland and by himself by inducing or compelling his wife to exercise influence over this young man he seemed to have obtained such an influence over this weak man that he was what the lord chief justice had graphically described as like so much putty in their hands that was to say by telling him to do a thing they made him do it and he had no will of his own they could do just as they pleased and monson resolved to obtain a very large insurance on his life and the jury had found that by his influence over him got him to acquiesce in anything that he monson did and he acquiesced so completely that he allowed monson to get an insurance on his life in any way or form monson chose he proposed to get the insurance by putting it in the name of mrs monson he said he was the trustee and guardian of this young man in absolute falsehood he said he was his tutor what on earth he taught him except something bad he could not say monson said this young man was to come into a fortune of two hundred thousand pounds and had contracted to buy the ardlemont estate for forty-eight thousand pounds and that mrs monson was lending him money and therefore she could honestly wish in order to repay herself to insure his life a greater mass of falsehoods was never told by anybody a difficulty arose as to the time the policy could be got through and it was suggested in order to avoid delay that it should be taken out in hambro's name and this was agreed to what monson had said about the young man was written down to read to hambro and he agreed to it but monson was at his back the policies were obtained by an infamous number of lies and hambro's representative could not come forward and say i know that the policies were obtained by all that monson said i know that he is an infamous liar and deceived the company but i will take the policies and have nothing to do with the lies at all he was of opinion that monson was acting as hambro's agent and therefore any falsehood told by him could be used against the person for whom he was acting as to the other questions he quite agreed with the decision of the lord chief justice the policy had been obtained by fraud and therefore the company was not liable lord justices lopes and rigby concurred and the appeal was dismissed with costs End of section eighty three